That's just boredom. Grudgingly follow rules. No, no. The Bible says obedience to God leads to joy, leads to freedom. So now in our passage, Paul, what he does, he just goes and highlights, if you want to turn to chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, what he does, he highlights two great examples. People who emulate and model this unity and humility and obedience to God. One of them's Timothy. We know quite a lot about Timothy. He, uh, obviously, Paul wrote him, 1 and 2 Timothy. He's, he was just like a son to Paul. We're going to read chapter 2 from verse 19. Listen to how Paul describes Timothy. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I can, as I see how it will go with me. Paul still doesn't know quite what his outcome will be. But I trust in the Lord that I shortly will come to you myself. That's quite a statement to make, isn't it? I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely, genuinely be concerned for your welfare. You know, he, he is not wanting to put Timothy on a pedestal for the sake of it. He's just wanting to honor this amazing man of God, to honor his humility. You know, Paul had worked with some great people. You know, you think of Mark and Titus and, and Barnabas. And yet there was something beautifully unique about this partnership with him and Timothy. There was a, there was a, a, a single-mindedness. There was a togetherness, heart and soul, that he just wanted to highlight. This was a man proven in the field, a man who could be trusted to go in place of Paul. I love the way he speaks about him. The other was Epaphroditus. Who was he? Well, he was most likely one of the senior leaders in the church in Philippi. And yet he was humble enough to be willing to be a bit of a messenger boy for the church. He was the guy chosen to go and bring the financial gift from the church to help Paul in his difficult situation there under house arrest. He was happy to take this letter that we're reading now back to the church in Philippi. He wasn't too, you know, well, that's beneath me. No. And while he was with Paul, he got seriously ill, even to the point of death. And yet, get this, he was more concerned that the news of his ill health would upset the church back home than he was about his own condition. Just speaks volumes about this sense of humility, his heart for the people. Paul says this in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. You can just feel the heart Paul has for these friends these fellow workers. You know, we spoke, we started actually the whole series off talking about joy in partnership. Here it is in action. Real joy in partnering together for the gospel. 
Verse 28, I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and I may be less anxious. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help that you yourselves were unable to give. I love how Paul describes these fellow workers, sons, brothers, soldiers, friends who were prepared to humble themselves even to the point of death for the work of Christ. You know, none of these guys were having an easy time of it. None of these guys were in a a summer season. They were in a winter season and yet... And yet they knew summer in their hearts. They knew this joy. They modeled what they were teaching. They modeled this amazing humility and unity and obedience. And despite really difficult circumstances, they were able to find joy together, find strength together. That's why Paul, in the very next verse, in chapter 3, verse 1, is able to say with all integrity, brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He can put his hand on his heart and say, I know I can truly rejoice in the Lord, even in these difficult circumstances. And really, that's what I want us to focus on this morning, this command, because it is a command to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul repeats this time and time again. The the passage we looked at last week ended with Paul urging us to rejoice and share our joy. Again, in the following chapter, in chapter 4, we hit it again. Rejoice in the Lord. And just in case we still haven't got it, he says, again, I say rejoice. It's almost like you feel like saying, all right, Paul, I get it. I get it. But I wonder, do we really get it? Do we really get it? Because it's not a suggestion. You know, here's what could help you. Why don't you just try rejoicing in God? No, this is a command. Rejoice in the Lord. Find your joy in Jesus. I wonder how often we think of it like that. I am commanded We are commanded to find our joy in Jesus. There's not many commands in the Bible that are so emphasized. And, you know, this this is not to take people on a guilt trip. You know, thanks, Steve, I was already feeling joyless. Now I'm feeling condemned. No, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amy's word just was beautiful. We are still that white snowdrop. It's not about that. It's simply acknowledging that there is joy for you, whatever your circumstances of life. There is joy available to you for every Christian in any and every situation. And the fact that the Bible repeats it so often, it's not just Paul, it's right the way through Scripture. It is one of the most frequently repeated commands in Scripture, along with do not fear. They kind of go together, don't they? Do not fear, do not be anxious, rejoice in the Lord, find your hope in Him. It's repeated and repeated and repeated. Kind of suggests to me, this is something we really need to pursue. This is something we really need to fight for. And even the verb to rejoice... 
It's in the active voice. What does that mean? I'm not a grammar, grammary sort of person, but basically it means it's a choice we have to make. This verb is our responsibility. Rejoice in the Lord. It's our responsibility. Compare that to another command, Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is actually, if you look in the Greek, it's in the passive voice. In other words, something that is done to us. We don't do the filling. God does the filling we receive. The command to rejoice in the Lord is an active voice. It's something we take responsibility. We choose to rejoice, to find our joy in God. However, those two commands... The reason why I picked them are because they are completely linked. Being filled with the Holy Spirit and rejoicing in the Lord are completely linked because the only way we can truly rejoice in the Lord is through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. John Piper, we quote John Piper a lot, don't we? He says this. He says, God doesn't just flip a switch and you rejoice with no mental content whatsoever. In other words, this is not an automatic thing. There is a choice involved. But he goes on to say, The Holy Spirit opens the eyes of my heart to see the beauty of Christ. When I see Christ in all that he's doing and all that he is, then my heart is drawn out in joy towards him. Do you see how this sort of partnership works? We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but the onus is on us. I'm going to choose to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to choose to find my joy in God, despite my circumstances. And this is a promise. If we choose to give ourselves to pursuing joy in Jesus, we will find a never-ending source, a never-ending source. You know, so when you wake up in the morning, we've been going through this a little bit, the kids have interrupted your sleep yet again. We've got a choice. I'm going to choose to rejoice in God and to call on his patience and his grace and his strength to get me through the day. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. You go to work and you find someone else has got the project that you really wanted. Have a choice. I'm going to choose to rejoice that actually my significance is not in what I do. It's in who I am. I'm a child of God. It's a choice, isn't it? Even when the real storms of life hit, in Epaphroditus' case, serious health issues to the point of death. In Paul's case, imprisonment. Your life is on the line. Whether you're facing serious financial difficulties, whether you are going through bereavement or loss, there is joy for you. There is. This is the promise. Your name is written in the book of life. Just some of the truths we've been singing about this morning. You know, even that word, your sins will never be accounted to you ever again because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice. You know, you stand redeemed. You stand forgiven. You stand loved beyond reason. It's just beautiful, isn't it? You're a citizen of heaven. You have a, an eternal hope, an eternal inheritance. 
Even what we were singing about, Jesus will return clothed in white. That should, didn't that make your heart just leap when we were singing that? Just felt the sort of roar coming from the congregation as we sang. He will return in robes of white. I mean, what a statement. What a truth. Just, just been reading again Matthew 25. Jesus talks about his return. This time not as a humble baby, but as a victorious king. It says he is going to come in all his glory. Just picture that for a moment. What does that even look like? Jesus is going to return in all his glory and all the angels with him. There are a lot of angels. Multitudes and multitudes. This is what is coming, folks. It's coming. All this suffering and mess and brokenness will be wiped away. This is the hope that we have. Many of you will know Jackie Pullinger. You know, for over 50 years, she's been working with drug addicts in Hong Kong, particularly in the notorious and lawless walled city that's now been pulled down, I think, in, I think it was the early 90s. It got pulled down. It was just rife with corruption, sort of uh, totally ruled by triad drug lords. And she saw amazing miracles almost daily. You know, hundreds and hundreds of people saved from a life of addiction, saved into a knowledge and worship of Jesus, saved from death itself. But she also saw massive brokenness, incredible suffering, real corruption. And she said this, she said, God gave her resurrection eyes. I love that phrase. God gave her resurrection eyes. She said, only Jesus opens eyes, but all who believe in the resurrection of the dead know their destination is a place of comfort, a better country, a heavenly city. She could see beyond the pain and suffering. She could see the, the, the snowdrops, the hope that was coming. She could fix her eyes. Actually, there's going to be an eternal summer. And she drew people into that hope, into that joy they could experience in the here and now. You know, when we respond to this call to rejoice in the Lord, we are not talking about this superficial I'm a Christian, so I suppose I better put on a, a happy, clappy facade. You know, yay, I'm joyful. Yay. It's not that. It's not that. We're not papering over the cracks. We're not ignoring our circumstances. It's all about simply fixing our eyes, choosing to fix our eyes on things above. Colossians 3 encourages us to do just that. Keep having these resurrection eyes fixed onto the promises of God. And not just being overwhelmed by our circumstances. You know, James reminded us the other week, we may not be able to rejoice for our circumstances, but we can always rejoice in our God through those circumstances. He is a God who is always at work in and through those circumstances for our good, ultimately. You know, so much of what we worry about, so much of what gets us down, it's temporal. It's temporal things. And yet, as Christians, we can, and I would argue should, be the most peaceful, the most contented, 
and the most joy-filled people on the planet. Why? Because we know where we're heading. We know the end of the story. We know the source of joy itself, Jesus Christ. You know, joy, along with peace and love and patience and kindness and gentleness and fruitfulness and self-control, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And even through the hardest of seasons, there is joy for you. There is joy for you. True joy can only be produced by God in us. It's the only place where true joy is found. Psalm 16.11 says, It's in your presence that there is fullness of joy. In your presence. Romans 14.17, The kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking. Although there's a lot of that. I get joy from eating and drinking. But it's a temporal joy. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's where true joy is found. It's where true joy is found. Look up the number of times being filled with joy and being filled with the Spirit are connected. It's a lot. It's a lot. Joy is not an external mask. It's an internal reality. You know, so much in the world promises us happiness. But nothing the world has to offer can give us real, lasting joy. You know, even our word, happiness, comes from the, it's related to the, it's kind of an old English word now, happenstance. In other words, it's happiness that is rooted in our circumstance, in our situation. The Latin root for our word, happiness, is fortuna. In other words, where we get our word fortune from. Cue roller coaster of emotions from feeling high on happiness and joy when things are going well, when we are experiencing good fortune, to crashing down and feeling despair and pain when there's bad fortune. You know, then we kind of rinse and repeat sort of thing. We then go finding the next hollow promise of joy that this world can offer. That's what we see the world doing. It's roller coaster. God did not design us to be on this roller coaster of fragile, fleeting happiness, but to know this rock solid, lasting joy in Jesus Christ that's independent of our circumstances. As Claire was saying, as she brought that word, Jesus, you are our certainty. You are our certainty. He is the anchor, He is our hope. He is our peace that goes beyond all understanding. He is our joy that is our strength. It's the fruit of seeking God above everything else. It's the fruit of surrendering to Him, again, as we've been hearing this morning earlier. And it's a joy that every Christian can experience. Joy is the hallmark of every spirit-filled believer. And again, this is not to make us feel, oh man, I've now got to be joyful. No, this is a reminder, an encouragement. Joy is available for us. Let's not sell ourselves short. Does it describe you? Does it describe me? A joyful person. Am I recognized as a joyful person or am I recognized as someone who walks into a, you know, a room and is a bit of an atmosphere sucker? You know, am I known as to being a critic, a grumbler, a complainer? Or someone who actually brings light and life and joy into a room? Can I say my walk with God is getting more and more joyful every day? 
Would someone point to me and say, I want what he's got? I think if you can't answer yes to those, I think it simply comes back to recognizing that finding joy in Jesus is our responsibility. It's something we need to choose to do. To be constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off. Keep asking, God, fill me afresh. Keep seeking. Keep fixing your eyes on the truth of who Jesus is and what he's already done. Allow the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit of joy in your heart. So we remind ourselves, Jesus, you are amazing. What you have done for me on the cross never, ever gets stale. I love a a statement that Stephen J. Lawson makes in his commentary on uh, Philippians. He, He simply says this, Jesus is worthy of the excitement of our soul. Do you get excited about Jesus? Isn't he worthy of us getting excited about? You know, 1 Peter 1.8 says, Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. Though you haven't seen him, you are filled with an inexpressible joy. A joy that you can't even speak about. It just bubbles up in you. I can't even explain what I'm feeling. I haven't even seen Jesus. I'm filled with joy. It's the presence of God. It's the reality of the Holy Spirit in you. Will we pursue this joy in God above all the other fleeting joys that this world tries to offer? You know, even in our ministry, our joy should be in Jesus, rooted in him, and not in our apparent effectiveness. As I was preparing this, I just felt God drop into my heart. Just a reminder, there may be some people here who have lost joy in their ministry. And when I talk about ministry, I'm talking about any area where you feel God is using your gifts and talents, whether in the church or in the place of work or in the home, wherever. Maybe you've lost your joy in your ministry. Maybe you are in a season that's less visible, maybe even less fruitful. Maybe you even feel a bit forgotten about, overlooked by God, by other people. I just felt God remind me of when he sent the 72 out, when Jesus sent the 72 out. And they came back rejoicing, saying, even demons, even spirits flee in your name. And he says this, he says, don't rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. That's where our joy should be rooted. You know, our ministry, our effectiveness goes through different seasons. Sometimes it's seasons of seeing great fruit. Other times it's seasons of actually putting roots down. Maybe going through a bit of a challenging time. That's a time when roots get strengthened. There might be very little visible fruit. But we go through different seasons. And it, again, it stops this roller coaster ride of, whoa, I'm seeing breakthrough. I'm on top of the world. Yay, Jesus. And then hitting a brick wall when we're actually struggling. It feels like we're going through mud. And it's just like, whoa, God, you've left me. Where are you? No, no, we can know this joy in Jesus who never changes. Our ministry, our joy in our ministry, actually, it's independent of the seasons we go through. Ministry goes through all sorts of seasons. Our joy in Christ remains. I just thought there may be some people there who need to hear that. Joy in the Lord is always available if you're looking for it in the right place. 
Okay. Finally, this joy, this hallmark of every believer is to be shared. As I said, the last section from last week, Paul says this, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Joy is contagious. <laughs> you recognize that, don't you? When you're around someone who's just full of joy, full of life, it's contagious. You feel good. It lifts your spirits. And one way we can best serve each other is to share our joy, to impart it with one another. You know, if Paul needed to say, share your joy with me, how much more do we need to have others share our joy with us and vice versa? You know, I'm not, and I'm, again, I'm not talking about flippantly going up to someone who's going through a really difficult time and saying, hey, don't worry, be happy. You're likely to get a punch in the face. If you try it with me, maybe. Anyway, just, just saying. You know, we're actually called to weep with those who weep. We're called to rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, we're, we're called to empathize. We're, call, we're called to come alongside. We're, we're called to actually grieve over things. We're called to grieve over sin and injustice. This isn't just like a happy mask again. But what we can do, we can come alongside those who are really going through it and actually just remind them there is joy there. We can rejoice Maybe not in the circumstances at the moment, but we can rejoice in Jesus. We can rejoice in his grace. His grace is sufficient. We can rejoice in his perfect timing, even if it makes no sense at the moment. We can rejoice in his provision. We can rejoice again and, and help them to have resurrection eyes to see there is hope beyond this. There is a summer season to come. We can pray for the Holy Spirit just to fill them again. You know, we can pray things like Romans 15, 13 over them. May the God of hope fill you with all joy. Again, it's that little word, Amy, brought up. All. Fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. It's impart some joy in one another. If you are a person full of the Holy Spirit, full of the joy of the Lord, it will be contagious. But, kind of it's obvious to say, you cannot share what you do not have. You can't share what you don't have. And so we owe it, not just to ourselves, not just even to one another, but also to the whole world to choose to be people who are going to seek joy in the Lord. You know, Rob mentioned the other week, we have the potential to shine like stars in the darkness. And in this world, as we said, is joy-starved, desperately looking for happiness in anything and everything, we really need to take this mission of joy seriously. We need to get serious about joy. Because we have a world who is hungry for joy. And we know the source of joy itself. Can I encourage each one of us? You know, tomorrow morning, Monday morning is a great test, isn't it? Monday morning, I'm going to choose to rejoice in my God. Whatever your night was like, whatever the week you're facing, you know, circumstances that you're hitting against, I know a joy in the Lord 
that is independent of what I'm looking at right now. God, give me resurrection eyes to see your truth, to see the promises of God, to see this summer just coming to fruition in my heart. And help me to impart joy into everyone I meet. Amen. Why don't we just stand to our feet? I would love just to pray over us as a church that we'll be known as a people, a house of joy to the Lord. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit. It's just been so good to experience God's presence with us. If you find it helpful, why don't you just um, lift your arms? I'm just going to pray the Holy Spirit will just fill us afresh with the joy of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you are our joy. That you were the most joyful person who ever lived because you knew truly what it was to be one with the Father. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill us afresh now with your joy. Father, for those who are hurting, for those who are struggling right now, I pray, be the God of comfort for them. I pray, be the God of all hope. And I pray, will you pour your joy into their hearts right now. And Lord, as a church, we choose to seek joy in Jesus Christ above all other fleeting joys this world has to offer. We choose to fix our eyes on you. We choose to model wonderful unity and humility and obedience to you that produces joy in our hearts. Why don't you just now, between you and God, just make that declaration I choose joy. I choose joy. Whatever you're facing right now, I choose joy in the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. For those who have lost their joy in ministry, I pray, Lord Jesus, will you restore to them the joy of their salvation? That first love that they are chosen, they are called for such a time as this, that actually all we are called to do is to be faithful, to be faithful. And even if what that looks like in this current season may be not quite what we had imagined, our hope and our joy is in you, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Just receive him now, fresh. Come, Holy Spirit. Amen.